We're so glad that you've tuned into our Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Kinley Tig, the kids pastor here at Rolling Hills. Today, we're exploring what discipleship means as a follower of Jesus and how we can move forward with the next step in our faith journey. We all have a step to take to grow as a believer. So join us as we discover what God's word teaches us about this very topic. Now, here's Pastor Jason. Well, does the name Jess Graba mean anything to you all? How about Renee Grant Williams, Greg Meehan, Kim Mulkey, Nick Saban, Vince Lombardi? Okay, what do all of these people have in common? All of those names that I just mentioned are coaches. Jess Graba may not be a household name to you, but Suni Lee might be a little bit more of a familiar name. Suni Lee was the recent all-around Olympic gold medalist in gymnastics from the United States of America, and her coach is Jess Graba. And then there's Renee Grant-Williams, who lives right here in Nashville, Tennessee, and is an effective vocal coach. And she has consulted with nearly every major record label. And her client list is a who's who artist across all genres. She has never made time to take me on as a client, but that is beside the point. But she's a coach. And then there's Greg Meehan, who could be here in this room today, and I probably wouldn't recognize him. But Greg Meehan is the coach of Katie Ledecky, the decorated Olympic gold medalist swimmer who basically has set world records in every race that she has ever competed in. And then there's Kim Mulkey, who is the head women's basketball coach at LSU. But prior to that, she was at Baylor University for over 20 years and is one of the most winning coaches of all time. She was the first person to ever win a national championship as both a player, an assistant coach, and a head coach. And then there's Nick Saban, who needs no introduction for some of you in the room. The head football coach at the University of Alabama, who's won seven national titles, and then Vince Lombardi, nine seasons up at Green Bay. But what she's probably most known for is the Super Bowl championship trophy, is named after Vince Lombardi. I'm amazed that people at the top of their game still have coaches. People who are so good at what they do still surround themselves with coaches. I wonder sometimes what coaches do. Do you ever watch a sporting event and think to yourself, if they can do that, what can their coaches do? I want to see a coach's competition. I mean, because she just did four and a half somersaults while underwater with no splash, ran 100 meters in four seconds, then hopped out of the water and did a marathon in two hours and shot 95% from the free throw line. I mean, what can the coaches of these people do? Let's have a competition where we put all of them up on display. But what it really reminds me of is that no matter how far athletes or vocalists or musicians may have come, no matter how far they have come and no matter how successful they may be, they deem it valuable to continue to get stronger, to continue to get wiser, to continue to improve upon their craft. And that concept is so central to where we're going to be this morning because we're in our second week of this series called Engaged. And what we're going to be doing over these next 40 days or the 40 days that we're already in the midst of is looking at what it is that God wants us to do as we engage with him. And this morning, we're going to be unpacking this truth of what it means to engage as a disciple, that if I want to grow as a disciple, I've got to evaluate where am I right now and what is the next step that God is wanting me to take. So if you're here this morning and you've been walking with Jesus for 20 plus years and you're thinking to yourself, I don't know what my next step is, I hope that you'll open up your heart to it. Or maybe you're here and you'll say, you know what, I'm far from God. I don't understand all these claims that we're talking about. What is the next step that God has for me? I hope that you'll open up your heart to that because he wants to meet you here and he wants you to engage with him and he wants you to grow as his disciple. And when we open ourselves up to that, what you're going to see is that 
life begins to be full, and it becomes rich, and it becomes meaningful. And so I know that God has not brought any of you here by accident. And so as a result of that, we want to pray and ask him to show us specifically why we are here. What do you want to show me, God, today as I seek to engage with you and be the disciple that you have called me to be? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are. You are so good to us. God, we're grateful for your presence in this place. I pray that as we seek to engage with you today, that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that you would make us sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit, and that here and in this moment, we would be reminded that you are good, and that you love us, and that you have a great plan for our lives. Help us, God, to grow as your disciples today, and it's in the powerful name of Christ that we pray. Amen. Now, central to this concept of what it means to be a disciple, we've got to ask ourselves that question. What does it mean to be a disciple is probably a pretty good place to start. And so if I'm going to ask that question, all I need to do is not look any further than the public ministry of Jesus. Because in Jesus' public ministry, he called disciples together. And some of you know the various, you know, the various kind of points of Jesus' life, but Jesus was born of a virgin over 2,000 years ago, and he came to this earth and he lived a sinless life. He was both fully God and fully man. And upon his arrival into this earth, he lived sinless, and he had three years, about three years of public ministry. And at the end of that time, he took up on a cross so that we could have life, and his blood was shed so that each of us could be made whole and could be made free. They took him up off that cross, and they put him in a tomb, and the world thought the story was over. But three days later, he burst forth from the tomb, conquered death to remind us that he can conquer everything in our lives, and then he ascended back to heaven. But before ascending back to heaven, he gave his disciples a commission. And he said, this is what I want you to do. And you may or may not know this, but that same commission that the disciples received is the same one that Jesus gives us today. We are at the exact same point in history because just like they were waiting on him to come back for the second time, that's where we are today. We're waiting on him to come back, and he has given us work to do. Now, lest you forget, the disciples were far from perfect. And so if you're sitting here thinking, I don't know if God really wants to use me as a disciple. Can God really use somebody who's broken like me? If you've ever asked yourself that question, it is a clear indicator that you've never studied the disciples because they were heathens. A sordid past. I mean, they had so many mistakes, and it should serve as a great reminder for you. If you're here saying, of all the things that have happened in my life, could God really use somebody like me? Unequivocally, yes. He wants to use you. He wants to grow you as a disciple. But this is the commission that he gave them, and it's in turn the same commission that we have today from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So simply put, a disciple is someone who is continually being conformed to Jesus, someone who over time is looking more and more like Jesus and less and less like the world. Look at this key verse in Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. If you're comfortable highlighting in your Bible, underline that word conformed. That he says he wants to conform us. He wants us to be more like Jesus and less like the world. And so what is a disciple? A disciple is simply somebody who looks more and more like Jesus every day. So if we're talking about engaging as a disciple, then the task at hand this morning is to say, I want to look more like Jesus tomorrow than I look like Jesus today. 
I want to look more like Jesus 10 years from now than I look like Jesus right now. God wants to conform me to the image of Christ. Now, when do I arrive at that? When do I get my discipleship certificate? When do I get to walk across the stage and have my name read that I have completed discipleship? Never. It's a journey that all of us are on. And until God calls us home, heavenward bound, we are on that journey. We never get that certificate. Why? Because discipleship is a lifelong process. It is a lifelong process. I'd like to give you some notes that you can fill in if you want to take these notes and, respond and just kind of reflect up on them later in the week. But discipleship is a lifelong process. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself or deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, how often do I have to deny myself? Is this something that I do the first Monday of every month? No. This is an ongoing process that I continually have to deny myself and say all of the things of this world are going to take a backseat. And all of the things of Jesus are going to take a place of priority. That's what it means to grow as a disciple. And so my hope for our time together is to show you just a couple areas that I believe will impact you as you seek to be on this lifelong journey of discipleship. And I'm going to go ahead and just kind of let the proverbial cat out of the bag. These are not earth-shattering, okay? Some of you all were coming today, and you were expecting something really huge. And I'm going to speak to you here in just a minute, and you're going to say, man, Pastor Jason, I thought he was going to bring something really significant that I've never heard before. But that sounds like what I heard 25 years ago in Sunday school. Or that sounds like something that our kids are talking about over here in family ministry. But when it comes to discipleship, I want you to get this. And you're going to see this here on your notes as well. When it comes to discipleship, you have to realize you are being discipled by something or someone. You are being discipled by something or someone. This is something that all of us have in common. All of us are disciples of something. It might be Jesus. It might be something else. It might be the Word of God, or it might be something completely different. You are all disciples so give yourself a pat on the back. The question is, are you the disciple or are you a disciple of the right things? Because we're all disciples of something or someone. That's why the words of Paul to the church at Colossae are so powerful. Look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. When Paul says, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, why would Paul use that word whatever? He says, whatever you do. This verse is really, really different if Paul said, whenever you're at church, do everything for the name of the Lord. Or whenever you're reading your Bible, make sure that God is prioritized. No, he says, whatever you do, make sure that you're doing it for the name of the Lord. Because what Paul understood is that we are all being discipled moment by moment by wherever we place our priorities. And it's either Jesus or it's something else. Because see, if I do a bunch of things and never seek to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in those things, then I've become a disciple of those things instead of a disciple of Jesus. Maybe that confused you. So let me give you a real-life practical example. For you, maybe it's work or maybe it's career. Maybe you're really, really successful in what you do. My question to you, though, is do you invite Jesus into that work? Do you see your clients? Do you see your customers? Do you see your students? Do you see your coworkers as people that God has brought into your life so that you can seek to point them to him? Or do you see your job as something that you do and my discipleship job is something that I do on Sunday morning? Because if I only see my job as something that I do and Jesus kind of fits into it a little bit later on, then it's possible that my priorities may not be where they want, where God wanted them to be. The same can be said of culture. 
If you allow the culture around you to shape everything about your life and then try to fit Jesus into that, then something about your priorities is off. How about when it comes to politics? This is as political as I ever get up here. But some of us are disciples of politics, or we're disciples of a political agenda, and we try to fit Jesus in. Whereas what Jesus is wanting us to do is to be a disciple to him, and then everything else becomes secondary. How about our kids' extracurricular schedules? We can become disciples of that and try to fit Jesus in a little bit later. For example, are you a disciple that just happens to be an accountant with two kids in sports, or are you an accountant with two kids in sports that's trying to fit Jesus into the equation? Because whichever way you answer that question is a pretty clear indicator of what is discipling you. Big picture, I think one of the clearest tests of what we're being discipled by is what is that thing or who is that someone that we never say no to? Put another way, what do you always say yes to? Because whatever you always say yes to, whatever gets the place of priority in your life is probably what's speaking the loudest. And it's probably what is discipling you more than anything else. If I were to say yes to starting my work day right out of the gate without taking any time for Jesus, then that's where my priorities lie. If I say yes to everything with my kids' schedules, but then no to the things that God is desiring to do in my life, then it's a pretty clear indicator of where my priorities lie. It's kind of like the thing that you always say yes to is kind of like that big hammer and everything else in life is a nail. Whatever filter you kind of look at life through is kind of a big hammer, and you go through your day hammering every nail. And if it's Jesus, if Jesus is the filter that I look through, then that means everything in life gets evaluated through what is Jesus wanting to do in this. But if it's some other agenda that becomes the priority in my life, then that means everything else in life goes through that filter, meaning if I start with Jesus I'll be conformed to the image of Jesus through those things. But if I start with any other agenda, a political agenda for that matter, then I'm going to see everything through that filter. So my question to you is, where is your discipleship actually coming from? Because I promise you, it is coming from someplace. It is coming from something or someplace. So again, what I'd like to highlight for you is just a couple of areas that I encourage you to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ in and through. And again, these are not earth-shattering, so you guys buckle up. Are you ready? reading the Bible, and being in community. Thank you for coming to church today. I'm so grateful. I can't think of two things that are more profound that can have greater impact in our discipleship journey than reading the Bible and joining a group. Now, again, I'm sorry that I disappointed you that you were expecting something more profound, but this is what LifeWay Research says. LifeWay Research did an amazing study, and it's, it's confirmed among other studies as well, that the number one predictor of spiritual maturity in people is people who read their Bible daily. It's the number one indicator of spiritual maturity. It's not your spiritual gifts. It's not your Enneagram. It's not how much money you have. It's not how much money you give. All those things, the number one indicator of spiritual growth it's people who read their Bible daily. The Bible, hands down, is the most purchased book in the world. But sadly, one of the most unread. And so if you're looking for a homework assignment today, if you're wondering, what is my next step that I need to take from this today? Let this be it. Seek to let the Bible, seek to bring the Bible into your life as a part of your daily routine. Why? And you see this here on the screen, because the benefits of reading the Bible are greater than you're capable of putting words to. The benefits 
of reading the Bible are greater than you are capable of putting words to. In fact, you truly can't even put to words how impactful God's word is. Let me read you some verses out of it that show us just how impactful it is. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. What does that say? It says that this Bible that I'm holding here or this Bible app that you have on your phone with access to God's word, everything in that word is the breath of God. And it is useful for so many things. What's it useful for? It instructs me, it whips me into shape, it corrects me, and it serves as a path for my day. I can't think of anything tomorrow that's not going to check one of those boxes. Because what am I going to need tomorrow? I'm going to need to have somebody light my path. I'm going to need to be whipped into shape. I'm going to need to be corrected. And I'm going to need to be trained in some way. And that's what God's Word does. Look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. The Word of God is alive, and it's active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. What's God's Word? It's alive. And it comes, and it penetrates my life, and it serves as the judge for all of my thoughts and all of my attitudes. Look at Psalm chapter 12, verse 6. The Word of the Lord is flawless. It's like silver purified in a crucible. It's like gold refined seven times. What does that mean? It means that God's word is perfect, that nothing needs to be added to it, nothing needs to be taken away from it. It is flawless. It is completely perfect. So will I engage with it? And then there's Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So if you're here and you want to grow in faith, maybe you're here and you say, you know what, I want to grow in faith. I want to grow in that faith journey. Then that faith journey, I grow in that by hearing about the word of Jesus. And where do I hear about the word of Jesus? In this. This is where faith, it comes from hearing. And where do I hear about it? I hear about it in and through here. So to grow in faith, I have to be growing in God's word. Now, I'm very burdened by something that I see happening out there. And I don't want to throw you under the bus, and so I'll just run the bus over myself. Is that okay? But maybe you relate to it. In fact, we're all friends here, so let's just kind of be honest with one another. I'm very burdened that as a people and as a person that we've allowed God's Word to take such a secondary place in our life, that we've allowed God's Word to really take a back seat when it should be the place of priority. Maybe you can relate to this, but have you allowed your thoughts to be so shaped by what's happening around you in culture right now that you completely diminish the fact that God wants to meet with you in the midst of everything that's happening in culture right now. Or maybe you scroll through Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, which is so addictive, by the way. Did you know there's actually research? I'm not making this up. There's actually research that shows a like on your social media page releases the same amount of dopamine in your brain as cocaine does. It's addictive. It's addictive. What does your appetite speak? Your appetite speaks more. Your appetite just always wants more. Or how about the news outlets or the blogs, all of those things, which are in existence for a couple of reasons. One, somebody wants you to come back and click again, or they're trying to make money off of that. Now, again, I'm not up here to, you know, bash the media or anything like that. Just understand the proper context of why those things exist. Or maybe you have opinions or sound bites from others that you allow your mind to be so penetrated by, opposed to being penetrated by the word of God. And because I love you and because we are all in this together, friends, it is so treacherous to engage in those things without a commitment to God's word first. 
Because what they do is your mind and your heart will go places they never intended to go. And your brain will be formed by things that are not rooted in God's word. I dare not look at Facebook in the morning until I spend time in God's word. I dare not go to a news outlet before I spend time in God's word. And maybe you relate to that as well. You can probably relate to those moments in life when you don't get the priorities set. And when you don't get the priorities set, what tends to, tends to take over? Everything that's not the priority. When you don't get those pieces set, and so being a disciple, engaging as a disciple means that I have to set the right priorities, and I have to get my life squarely built on Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And if I do that, then everything else just fits in, and everything else makes sense. And so I want to show you an illustration to help you understand this, maybe a little bit clearer. This is your life. I have reduced your life to a glass jar full of pinto beans. So um, you guys are special to me, but this is you right now, okay? So for all intents and purposes, this is you right now. You are this jar, and this is your life, and this is everything about your life. This is your work. This is your family. This is all of your hobbies. This is all of the outlets of media that you engage. This is all of your thoughts on everything, okay? I mean, this is you, anxiety and all, stress and all, joy and all, everything about your life, your hopes, dreams, aspirations, everything. This is you. And these are all important. All these little beans represent something important in your life. But these three tennis balls, they actually represent the most important things in your life. It looks like I'm getting ready to juggle. I'm not going to. (laughs) These represent the most important things in your life. So let's say for the sake of example, this is your faith journey. This is your discipleship journey. And this is your family. Okay, so I'm picking three things that hopefully are places of priority in your life. What tends to happen in my life is I tend to just kind of go on about my day. And I let everything just kind of go about. And then I say, you know what, about 11 o'clock in the morning, I'm going to let my family be the priority. And then maybe at night, if I have a little bit of extra time, I'll let my faith journey be an importance. And then, you know, this discipleship journey. And what tends to start happening Some of you are really strong. I dare anybody to come up here and actually figure out how to push these tennis balls into this jar of pinto beans. You can't do it because there's so much resistance. They don't hold. It doesn't hold them all. But for the sake of an example, let's just say I want to get my priorities straight. And whatever those three things are in my life, faith, discipleship, family, I want to get those things in my life, a place of priority before anything else. And then I start going on about my day. It's 10 o'clock. I'm in a meeting that I'm not excited about. Soccer, work, somebody just replied all. (laughs) Dinner, kids' homework, a little bit of Netflix time. we'll get the bedrock pieces in our life set, get the priorities set, and then bring everything else into our life, you're going to be surprised how full and rich and abundant and meaningful your life is. When I try to fill it with all the things of this world first and then try to fit in the things that God would desire to do or the discipleship journey that he has me on, then It's just simply not able to fit in. 
I can't do it. So to further shed some light on this, I want to show you some interesting research just about the power and the importance of God's Word and how we often just simply don't access it as we need to. And this is a survey by George Guthrie. It's a research by a professor at Union University. His name is George Guthrie, and he calls this the survey of 100 church members, not a survey of 100 random people in the community, but church members, people who are a part of the community. And so he says, if you were to ask 100 people who are in church, have you read the Bible today? 84% will say no. Now, I thought, well, maybe they did this survey on Sunday morning, and it's really early, and people haven't had time to get up and read the Bible yet. So let's give each other a benefit of a doubt. Then he says, if you go to the next question, have you read your Bible at least once in the past week? 68% of people will say no. And then the one that's really troubling to me, he says, has the Bible made any significant difference in the way that you live your life? And he said, 37% will say yes. And I read these statistics, and as your pastor, I really want to believe that we're different. I really want to believe that these stats do not hold true for Rolling Hills Community Church. My hope and my prayer is that we are the outlier on this. But let's just say for the sake of assuming that we're not the outlier. Why is all this important? Is this important because as your pastor, I want you to have a bunch of gold stars? No. Do I want you to create a list in your mind and you just see how many check boxes you can fill in because life's really about rules and as long as you meet all the rules and check all the boxes and life is going to be awesome? That's not at all why I bring that up because that's not what it's about at all. Why I bring this up to you is because there's life here. It's alive and it's active and it's the breath of God and it's profitable for everything that we need. So practically speaking, I want to give you some homework. Practically speaking, if you're here and you're in those first two categories or specifically that first category that just simply, you know, it's just not a part of my daily routine. If you never read the God, God's word, can you do me a favor? Can you commit to three days this week to read five minutes? In God's Word. So, you know, I'm going to take three days, and I'm going to read God's Word for five minutes. There's a Bible verse. The, app, the Bible app has a verse of the day. It's one of the first things that I read every morning, and it's a beautiful verse that nine times out of ten ends up being something that I dealt with that day. And so it's just a verse for you to reflect upon. We have an engaged 40-day reading plan. I encourage you to, to dig into God's Word, or maybe you're here, and you, are, you know, say, you know, I, I kind of read it occasionally. Well, well, you commit to say, you know what, for five days a week, for five minutes a day, I'm going to read God's Word. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I'm in that group that consistently reads God's Word. Well, then will you up your game even more? If you're in that group that consistently reads God's Word, will you say, you know what, I'm going to go seven days a week for 10 minutes a day. But remember, gold medal athletes still have coaches. And they still have room to grow. And so then, if you do that for this next week, or you do that for the next couple of weeks, I promise you, if it doesn't make a difference, you can always go back to the way you were living before. If it doesn't add any value to your life, then you can simply go back to the, whatever the process was beforehand. But secondly, it's not just God's Word, but it's engaging with believers and engaging in community of believers. So I pray that you would not go at it alone as well. And that you would not only make the Bible part of your daily routine, but that you would say, I want to prioritize the value of being a part of a group of people. And here at Rolling Hills Community Church, we have a couple of ways that we encourage you to do that. The first of which is community groups. We have men's and women's studies, men's and women's connection opportunities. In fact, today is a really special day. For the next couple of weeks, we're hosting what we call Group Link, which are the opportunities for you to connect with our groups, to connect with groups that meet all over 
Nolansville and beyond. And so I hope that after the service today that you'll talk to some of these people who are in these blue community group shirts, that you'll scan those QR codes that are on your worship guide and find some of these groups and indicate interest over the next couple of weeks about being a part of a group because for the next two weeks, we are officially getting ready to launch the groups. And so we're putting those groups together right now. And so what we want you to do is to let us know that you're interested as we put those groups together. Your group leaders will be reaching out to you and will answer whatever questions you may have about that. But I encourage you to don't go at life alone, but find a group of people that you can journey with. Now, I can't see into the future, but I want to go ahead and break the ice for you because I suspect that some of you have some barriers that you've already come up with as to why groups are not going to work for you and why this is not going to work. And so maybe you have a few of these barriers in mind, but generally speaking, the reality is, and it's not just about community groups, but this is true about everything in life, and you see it here on your screen, it's barriers to community will always be present. Barriers to discipleship will always be present. So I wanted to go ahead and answer some of those barriers for you. And Clyde, I want to go ahead and consider myself the FAQ page on the website. So I'm just going to answer some things. Maybe you're here and you're like, ah, that sounds awesome. But what about this? So maybe these are some of the things that you have in your mind right now. I can't be a part of community because, one, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't know enough about the Bible. No one knows everything about the Bible. Community groups are not seminary courses. Our groups are based in the Bible. And people of all walks of life, all degrees of biblical knowledge are welcome in our groups. I promise you, no one is going to ask you at the door when you walk into somebody's house, do you know the books of the Bible forward and backwards? They're not going to say, please turn to Habakkuk and quote chapter 1, <laughs> verse 2, as an entry point into this group. But what is going to happen is that you're going to know more about the Bible at the end of the group, which is a good thing. A hugely positive thing. Or maybe you're in category two. This is a barrier that you have. You know what? I just don't have time. My schedule's already set for the year. Well, back to the big rocks. Back to the big pieces. When you get those pieces of your life set, what you tend to realize is that everything else follows suit. A couple of weeks ago, I made a statement in one of the sermons about how busyness has become a badge of honor in our society. And for like two solid weeks, none of you have ever answered the word busy when I've asked you how you're doing. And I can see that you want to. You're like, life's good. But who's busy in the room? Let's go ahead and raise your hands. Who's busy? Every hand in here should be up. Everybody's busy. But how many hours do you have? 24. How many hours does the person beside you have? 24. It's not a matter of who has more time. It's how do we use that time. Another barrier that I often hear in terms of not connecting with the group is number three. Somebody's going to ask me to pray aloud. Somebody's going to ask me to pray aloud. And I promise you what happens in groups is our group leaders are going to give you opportunities to pray aloud if you want to. They are not going to call on you directly. They are not going to say, you know, John, Please voice us a word of prayer. And if they do call on you without asking you if you want to pray, you email me later because they were not supposed to do that. <laughs> and I'll set them down and have a good firm talking to with them about that, okay? Or maybe category four, I don't know about group life because I'm not comfortable talking about myself with strangers. I'm not comfortable talking about myself with strangers. See, conversations happen, but nobody's going to ask you to share all of your struggles I hope that our groups do become a place of deep connection for you. 
and where deep conversations can happen, but you're not going to walk in one night. Nobody's going to hand you a survey with a list of sins and make you check the ones (laughs) that you've committed so that we can enter into a season of confession upon the first group meeting. And then category five is, I don't know what to do with my kids. I don't know what to do with my kids. Well, we have groups that offer child care in homes, or we have a child care situation that's set up with that group. We reimburse for that as a church. If you need to join a group that doesn't have child care offered, you can arrange for your own babysitter, however you want to do that, to come to your house. And we have an agreed upon reimbursement from Rolling Hills that we will help reimburse that for you. So much so we do not want that to be a barrier to you, to connect with a group. And maybe there's others for you. Maybe you could keep filling out the list of all the potential barriers. And the reality is, we could try to remove as many of those barriers as possible. But when it comes to discipleship, it's not just about removing all the barriers, but it's saying, what's the priority? And what is the priority that I want to set in my life? Now, on a personal level, groups are awesome, but groups are not perfect. Why are groups not perfect? Why are our groups not perfect? Because I look out on this room and I see some of you wearing blue shirts and you all are imperfect people. I love you. The recesses of my heart, thank you for leading groups. But can we all get a big amen that all of us in the blue shirts are broken? And we're messed up. And we struggle. And we're anxious. And we're human. And so... Are all these things going to be perfect? No. Are you automatically going to become best friends with everybody? Who knows? But I do promise you that our groups are going to be an opportunity, if nothing else, for you to be reminded you're not alone. And that God has a story that he wants to write. And we need each other. Man, we need each other, don't we? Has there ever been a season of life that you felt like you just needed people more? It seems like we so desperately need that connection. And so I want to close today by encouraging you to lean into community. Because see, what you see about community is you see this here on your notes, is that you can be in community and not be a disciple. But you can't be a disciple without community. Our discipleship pastor who serves at our Franklin campus said this quotation, and I loved it so much when he said that you can be in community and not be a disciple, but you can't be a disciple without community because we're all a part of communities. All kinds of communities that we're a part of, from the HOA to the PTO, for the kids' sports to the work, all, all the work that we do, all those things. All those things are awesome. But I can be in all of those communities and not be a disciple, but I really can't be a disciple without community. Why? Because Hebrews 10, 24 answers that. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. So let's not give up on one another. Let's not give up on meeting together and connecting with one another and being there for one another. And groups and connection opportunities serve as an awesome opportunity for that to happen. It helps bring out the best in your life. This journey that all of us are on as a disciple, it's a lifelong journey. None of us have arrived. None of you have the PhD when it comes to discipleship and you've got it all figured out. But I don't know where you are, but I do know this. God wants all of us to take a step. He wants all of us to take a step to engage as a disciple that he has called us to be. I believe God yearns to do something in your life. He yearns to bring you life and hope and meaning. And so will you give him an opportunity today to do that? Will you give him an opportunity to grow you, to stretch you, and ultimately to conform you to his image? Why don't we seek to engage with him, to engage with his word, to engage with one another as we seek to be on this journey, a journey 
to be his disciple. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for meeting us here. We're so grateful, God, for your word. We're thankful for connection. We're thankful for the people that you want us to do life with, that you want us to be in community with. And I pray, God, that whatever each individual person might be thinking right now about their next step, that you would give them the faith to take it. If there's those here in this room that have been so disconnected from community, I pray that maybe today would be the day when they take a step to seek to find that. Or maybe we're here and your word has not been prioritized in our life at all. And maybe today would be the day when we say we're going to put a stake in the ground and we're going to become men and women that cherish and hold on to your word and allow your word to be what our life is built upon. So I I pray that you would have freedom to just work this morning. Help us to remove those barriers and to reset our priorities. We're so thankful, God, for what you're doing and for what you're going to do as we seek to be faithful and available for you. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, where you can find great podcasts like Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, RH Women's As You Go Podcast, and more. If you want to learn more about what's going on in the life of Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app or visit our website at rollinghills.church. From there, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook to stay up to date on what's happening and ways you can connect. We're thankful for you.